It's so nice to have you all here. Oh, I always think it's really nice to be in this room, the pretty tablecloths, the flowers. It's just, yeah. Ah, it's good. This morning we don't have any singing, no musicians, so you just get to go straight in um, to the talk. So, um, yeah. I, and I'll pray before we start, um, and then we'll get going. Father, we thank you so much um, that we can know you and love you, um, that you speak to us, and that we can think upon your words, and that those words can change us. Oh, Lord, we pray that this morning would be a great time as we learn to meditate. Um, we pray that it would help us to, to worship you more with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, meditation conjures up the image of still waters and graceful yoga poses. I think that's the normal view when you hear the word meditation. That's the kind, oh, no, it's this one. That's the kind of thing you have in mind. But this is a little bit more what I think meditation looks like. So this is a new picture for you to think of when you think of meditation. So instead of stillness and closed eyes and ocean waves, picture an open Bible, a piece of paper full of scribbled thoughts, a pencil with the end chewed off, a cup of coffee, and more than likely, a washing machine in the background and a sink full of dishes. That's real Christian meditation. Now, I'm going to start with a few things that meditation isn't. So we won't be looking into mindfulness or yoga this morning. But I do think it's worth saying that breathing exercises and relaxation techniques can be good and useful. They help at, the, at a practical level to slow us down. But we should just be wary of the kind of hidden or maybe explicit spiritual influences. I even like to think about my breathing. I did it last night when I woke up at three in the morning and I thought, stop thinking about the talk, think about your breathing. And it worked, I was straight back over to sleep. So I think like concentrating on your breathing, very helpful. Um, sometimes, no, not very often, if I've sat too long at the table studying, I reach for my yoga mat. I have a mat and I occasionally get it out. Um, so yeah, I think it's really healthy in our distraction-filled lives to take time to slow down whether that's yoga, swimming, jogging, knitting, cooking, or just drinking a cup of tea. Making time to rest for a few moments is time well spent. However, that's not Christian meditation, so we won't be looking at that today. Nor, might I add, is journaling, or listening to Christian music, or appreciating nature, or repeating a word or a Bible verse. They seem more Christian, but in reality, those practices stem from Eastern religions more than Jesus. Again, they might be good things to do, but they aren't Christian meditation, so we're not looking at them either. True meditation is based on God's words, because that's with the place where God makes himself known to us. We can't get to know God in nature, or at least we have a very limited knowledge of him from nature. It'd be like getting to know someone from a picture, instead of listening to them talk and hearing from them directly. We also don't get to know God in the silence. He's a speaking God, and he speaks to us through the words of the Bible. And we won't find God if we go searching inside ourselves. We'll find a God of our own making if we go looking there. The Holy Spirit is very much a part of meditation. He is the one through whom we have the words of God. And, he's the only, and it's only through the Spirit that those words apply themselves to our hearts and minds. If it wasn't for the Spirit, we would be completely unaffected by what we read. 
Meditation depends upon the Spirit, and He works in and through the words of the Bible as we speak, as we think about them. So we're looking at meditation today because it's the key to Christian growth and maturity. Meditation is the superfood for our soul. It's the answer to this contentment, the source of a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Meditation will strengthen your faith. It will fuel your prayers. It will equip you for life's challenges. It will produce heartfelt obedience and genuine worship. Meditation really is a superfood. If meditation was a pill, we'd all be taking a daily dose and it would cure all our ailments and revitalize our lives. So now that I've bigged up meditation and it's the thing we all need, we're going to begin by looking at what exactly is meditation? How do we do it? And why do we do it? So um, I hope by the end of the morning, you feel equipped and eager to go away and meditate. That's the dream. So turn um, in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Now, I don't know the page number, so maybe when the first person gets there. 617. <coughs> okay, so I hope... Um, oh, yes. So this Psalm 119, um, page 617, it's really all about meditation. And I'm going to keep saying Psalm, and that means Psalm to some of you, so don't be distracted. Psalm 119 is the longest Psalm, and we're, so we're just going to look at a few verses. And meditation, it's actually a big theme across the Psalter. It, it, we start off, Psalm 1 talks about meditation, and it's kind of picked up across the rest of the Psalms, but Psalm 119 is really where he goes to town on it. So just look, I'll dot you around a bit. So look at verse 14. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And then drop down to verse 27. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. And now I find verse 97. We're going to read quite a few verses there. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me. You make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I've not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. The psalmist meditates day and night, all day long. His commitment to God's word is staggering. His mind seems to be constantly on God's precepts, his statutes, his commands, his laws, his ways. He's always thinking about all of God's words. And all this intense focus brings him great delight. This is no dry and academic or cursory study of the Bible. The psalmist is devoted to pouring over God's words, and his heart is 100% fully engaged. He is always... Oh, where have we gone? 
He's always meditating on God's words, and he's full of feeling. That's the psalmist. Always meditating on God's words, and he's full of feeling. That verse 97, oh, how I love your law. I meditated on it all day long. Or in 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, I'm not going to advocate that we meditate all the time. I think that would be a bit ambitious. And I'm sure the psalmist is using poetic license and a bit of exaggeration because he must have slept some of the time. So we don't meditate day and night, but frequently, yes, I'd say, I'd say we spend a couple of times a week, maybe most days we want to meditate on God's words because they're going to be at the center of our meditation. And at the same time, we're going to be full of feeling. We want our emotions to be engaged. Um, based on Psalm 119, my simple definition is to think deeply on God's words until your heart is moved. I think that's how I would define meditation. I think it's how the psalmist does it. It's how quite a few writers sort of around that way. That's the kind of definition. Um, it is, there's handouts on the table. So if you wanted, you can write things down there. Meditation will cause God's words to penetrate your soul, to awaken emotions and arouse feelings. I'm not promising mountaintop highs or valley lows, but to some extent, meditation will have an impact on your heart. So let's unpack this definition a bit more. God's words. And I've already said the psalmist, he doesn't sit in silence or he doesn't listen to birdsong. He focuses his thoughts on God's words and he ponders them deeply. However, I don't think the psalmist is doing what we normally do in a Bible study or in a quiet time. He was meditating. He wasn't doing Bible study. So I love to study the Bible to notice and analyze structures and themes, to find the repeated words and ideas, to discover the author's logic and behind the arrangement of the text. The students, the SBS leaders, they can tell you, I really love getting into the nitty-gritty of a Bible study. But all that work is just to understand what God is saying. And that's still not meditation. Bible study and meditation are two distinctly different things. By the end of a Bible study, we will understand what God is saying. But when we meditate, that's when we start to process what it is that we have understood God to have said. So trying to tease out the difference there. Um, and I think it might surprise you that they're different. Um, most of us are familiar with the idea of Bible study. And I would argue that, yeah, when we've understood God's words, we're just ready to begin meditation. All the work in the Bible hasn't yet reached its goal and to stop there would almost be to defeat the point of all that's gone on before. God just doesn't want us to know some things about him. He wants us to really know, to like really grasp what it is that he's saying to us. So Bible study seeks, yeah, to understand what God's saying rather than processing it. Um, and you'll see there the arrows just to show you that Bible study first, then meditation. Now, some of you here might not be doing serious analysis when you open the Bible. That might not be what you think when you sit down and have a quiet time. Maybe you don't study like that. Um, perhaps you're more thoughtful and you linger on a word that jumps out at you, or you take a phrase and you think more about it. Well, actually, if that's you, you still not, might not be meditating on God's Word, even though the Bible's open. Without proper study beforehand, it's very likely that we're meditating on our own ideas and not what God's actually seeking to communicate to us. We all know what it's like for someone to take our words and misunderstand them 
or use them in a way we never meant. And sadly, God's words often get treated like that. So, thorough Bible study, either independently by us or during a group or actually even a sermon, they will all prepare us to meditate. Um, I'm not advocating actually for more personal Bible study. I really think we could be meditating on what we've covered during midweek um, Bible study or during whatever was heard in the Sunday sermon. I think there's a pressure to read something new when we open the Bible. We want some sort of reading notes or we feel like we've got to be working through this new thing and it's not okay to do what you were doing at maybe house groups or at women's Bible study. But I think it would be much better for us if we drill down into the great truths we've barely started to appreciate, whether that's in studying Luke or Genesis, Colossians, um, Hebrews. It's not a cheat to, to reflect on those books. In fact, I think it's a cheat to do something new because it's easier to read a few chapters and look at a few verses. It's much harder to think back over the Bible study and really grapple with it and push those truths into your heart. Many hours have been spent by your Bible study leaders and by the ministers as they prepare passages to lead and teach. And it's such a waste that we rarely think about those truths again. The goal of all that study hasn't been reached until we meditate. How often do you think back over a Bible study? What about reflecting on a sermon? The way our ministers lead us is through teaching us every Sunday. And they would love us to go away and actually think about what it is they're trying to teach us. And so I would love it if one of the changes that happened after today was that you spent some time in the week thinking back over the sermon or Bible study, going deeper and not trying to cover new ground. Okay, so that's meditating on God's words. Now, let's have a little bit more of this think deeply. Um... So we know it's not pulling about the text, so we're not looking for repeated ideas and themes and structures. Rather, we're processing, we're pondering, we're reflecting on the message, we're digesting it, we're mulling over it, we're turning it around in our mind. There's lots of words. Um, and I think we don't do much of that at all in our society, or at least in the younger generations. As a general rule, we all like to be entertained and amused and have things instantly. We don't like to work hard for anything. Home delivery saves us the effort to go into the shops. Internet banking means we don't need to go into town. Contactless bank cards mean we don't even need to remember our PIN codes or stop long enough to have to type them in. We choose the easy way every time. But meditation doesn't have an easy option. You might think some sort of quiet time notes will do the trick, but they won't. Nothing will take the place of you sitting down and wrestling with your thoughts. And the idea that meditation is restful is a myth, or at least genuine Christian meditation isn't restful. I think it's a mind workout, and part of the challenge is keeping your mind focused. We spend our days listening to music, checking our phones, watching the news, scrolling social media, whatever else is distracting us. And so learning to stay on a single Bible truth and deeply considering it, that is going to take discipline and effort. And we don't really like that. But what really helps keep you focused um, is knowing the goal of all your deep thinking. So we're aiming for a heartfelt response, a deep and genuine engagement where you come head to head or heart to heart with what God is saying. 
When we're really doing business with God's words, our emotions won't be lying cold and dormant. We have to think until we feel, until you start to fidget and dislike and take issue, until your conscience is pricked and you repent, until you burst out in praise and adoration. Think until you feel, until you burst out. Um, oh yeah, you may have thought that meditation only had one sort of feeling, like it's that kind of restful, peaceful feeling. But meditation um, produces the whole range of emotions. Now, if you think about, I'm not sure, I'll be using it a few times, Sunday sermon at the 11.30. So Steve was preaching on Jeremiah, um, chapter 2 and 3. And if you meditated on that, he was telling us about how God is a lover and how when we sin, we spurn him and our sin is like cheating on him. Well, if you meditated on that, then you'll be sorry for the multiple times you've rejected his love. You'll feel terrible that you've treated God like this. You'll be shocked that he looks at you and sees your actions as that of he uses words like a prostitute. And you think, that can't be me. And you'll, pro- you'll repent of what you say. You'll mourn your sin. Um, you'll maybe think specifically of some stuff that's come to mind. And that won't be comfortable as you think about the ways in which you've sinned. So, you, yeah, it won't feel good. But then you might also feel thrilled that God is your lover. It sounds daring and shocking, but wonderful that we have a powerful and a holy God who calls himself our lover. So that might really thrill you. So one sermon meditated on has the potential to send your heart on a roller coaster, but at the very least, you should think until your heart is even just a little bit moved. Um, And it's important just to mention again that meditation happens after we've rightly understood God's word. Emotions, I think, don't feature heavily in the Bible study, as they have a tendency to cloud our understanding, and we're too busy thinking about ourselves as we try to just see what God's saying. But when we meditate, it's time to get emotional. We can delve into the truths, and we really can warm our hearts with them. We want to be people who get emotional, and and our hearts are moved by God's words. But the problem is, if we just do Bible study, then we'll always be those people who are kind of unemotional about the word. So the two things need to um, go together. Now, that's most of the what of meditation. I'm now going to give you a chance um, to discuss what we've covered so far. Uh, And then when we come back, we'll look a bit more at the how do we actually do it. Um, So there's some questions on your table. Now, I think, oh, did I bring them in? No. I'm going (laughs) to, maybe they're over here. No, I don't think they're over here either. No, I think, well, are they? No, they're not. I think they're on the printer. (laughs) So Roz, kindly, is going to go and get us. But you can just begin by saying, like, what do you think so far? Like, is this what you thought of meditation? Does anything, do you agree? Do you disagree? Hmm, What do you think of the definition? So you don't really need the questions. That's what they say. So you can just begin to chat. And if you have any questions and you want to grab me during this time, then please do. Come back together. Hopefully, that's been, um, you've had, yeah, good times in your group. I'm not going to take questions, even though there it is, because we're going to, I know we're going to run out of time already. So if you have questions, just, you know, hopefully between each other, you might be able to answer them. 
or there's lots of wise people here. They might be able to give you answers, or you can come and find me at the end. So um, we'll keep going. Um, so we've unpacked the definition. Um, now, what do we do? So my how, you truth out, and then you truth in. So I know at the minute that phrase doesn't mean anything. It does some of the students, because I have tried to teach them. <laughs> but truth out, and then truth in. So truth in art, what you want is, if you finish the Bible study, you now have an idea, and you want that idea to be big. You want to really get your head around it. So you start with your sermon notes or your Bible study notes. You open the Bible. You maybe look at a few verses again, and you simplify the message. Um, you summarize the key thing that you've taken away from the sermon. You've taken not just that you have taken away, actually. You want, to, you want to take away the thing they wanted you to take away. It's not okay to decide that the sermon was on X, but I really liked that little bit there, and I'm going to think about it. <laughs> so at this point, you have to still try to meditate on the big idea that was taught. Um, and you look at, and, and then once you're kind of clear on the truth, then you try to truth it out. You try to make it so it is in big, bold letters so that you really know what it is. So that's what I mean by truth it out until it's, until it's big and real and meaningful. So you're going to just kind of turn it around a few ways. You're going to tease it out, look at it from a few angles. You're trying to make it, um, yeah, you're trying to, to make it no longer so detached. God's a lover. Great. So what? You're trying to make it be like, God's a lover. Whoa, you wanna, you're, you're thinking about it to the point it's like, oh, I get that, that that is a big message. Um, it's still not personal. So when you're truthing out, it's still not about you. You're still just trying to figure out what it means. Um, so you might rephrase it. What exactly is this saying? What is it not saying? God's a lover. He's, this passage is not telling me again that God is holy. It's not another passage that tells me that God is a father or another passage that says he's a creator. This one is saying this thing about God. Um, sometimes trying to figure out what it's not saying sharpens up. Okay, this is the thing that's being clear here. Um, maybe imagine you're trying to explain it to someone else. That'll force you to find words to express it. Say it out loud. You know, hopefully if you're lying on the sofa or sitting on your bed, that'll be okay. Um, Preach to yourself. Like, how would you persuade yourself of this? Do you know God is a lover? He is passionate about you. You matter to him. Oh, like, as in, imagine, like, you're trying to stir yourself with this kind of truth. Um, all of that's going to help you understand it and register the full weight of it, the full kind of significance. Um, so, yeah, um, I've, the kind of God is a lover. It's not just that he cares. It's not just that yeah, he feels nice thoughts about me. He loves me like a husband. Like, this isn't father God anymore. This is lover God. That's much more passionate. And when I sin, that's like cheating on him. He says, when I sin, he says, sin is like being a prostitute. Ooh, sin. I just thought sin was maybe bad stuff or not following God rightly. Sin is like cheating on God. So again, it's still not personal, but it's big you now are starting to kind of sense the kind of, mm, the kind of gravity of it. So then when the truth is big and real, and you already are starting to want to do it, you start to make it personal. You're like, he's a lover, he loves me. 
He's passionate about me. Like, he, he pursues me. He watches my actions. He cares about what I do. And you're already, by the time it's kind of become big, you already want to sort of run to the, I want to make this about me because I'm, I'm amazed by it. Um, so truthing in is trying to take the words and, put, and press them into your heart and mind. Um, you're trying to think, what do I feel inside? Hmm, I don't really think of God as a lover. I don't think anybody loves me. I don't, you try to think, what, how do I feel about this lover idea? And you try to, what's, what's my thoughts? How similar or different is what I think about sin? I think sin doesn't really matter. Well, I know sin's wrong, but I also know Jesus has taken all the punishment. So it's, you're just trying to figure out what is in my thoughts currently and what is this truth and how do they sort of differ and where does this rub me so that I need to change my mind and heart to be a bit more in line with what God's got to say. Um, sometimes we agree on paper. We might think, yes, I knew that. I've heard God's referred to as a husband in the Bible. Yeah, not, not a new idea to me. But in reality, that's not true. So you're trying to push past the most stuff you read. You'll think, oh, I knew that. But is it what you really think about God or about his ways? So you're trying to kind of, yeah, get into the real you, into your thoughts, actions, and emotions. I find asking lots of questions help when you truth in. Like, hmm, well, if... God was a lover, would I, yeah, would I feel lonely um, if I thought my sin was like cheating on him? Would I, how come I keep sinning again and again and again? Yeah, because I don't think God really, it, I don't think it has any impact on God. So sort of looking at your, your actions and your emotions help you figure out what's actually in your head and heart. On paper, we're all there. We know sin's bad. In reality, we don't care. So you have to get into the kind of the real you and help the passage um, rub you. So, because yeah, we want, in the end, we want our hearts and minds to be changed. So you see what you're like inside and then you go, well, I should hate my sin. I should be repulsed by it. It's not okay. Next time I do that thing, I'm going to remember that I have grieved and spurned the Lord when I've done this. It is forgiven in Jesus. I don't, I'm not guilty, and I, don't, I won't be punished for this, but I don't want to treat God, the one who loves me, like this. So you want to go all the way with your thoughts until you're ready to think new thoughts. You want to mold your mind so that by the end of truthing in, your mind and heart is a little bit more like God's word. Um, so now it's time for you to have a little go. And what have I got here? Hmm, practice. Now, practice knitting. I have started to knit. I'm practicing my knitting, and I'm slow, and I have to unpick a lot, but actually, I'm not very good at unpicking. I need to practice unpicking, um, because I make lots of mistakes. Uh, But my mum was here last week, and she learned to knit, I don't know, in primary school. It seems like they all, she remembers making a scarf, we chatted about it, and she is so fast. So she watches me, and she's like, just let me have a go, let me have a go, Ruth. And she takes over, I'll do a run, or several rows. Um, and she's so good, by the age of eight, she made her, she had already made a jumper with a polar neck, all made by herself. So, highly skilled knitter. But any skill is kind of new, is, when it's new, it's difficult, and it's clumsy. And meditation it will be difficult and clumsy. And it will stay that way for quite a while. I'm on my second blanket, but you know, I'm trying to get a little bit more 
do some new things and it's very hard to add in new elements into my knitting skills. So meditation, yeah. I think it won't feel like it's a new skill because you're like, I've thought about the Bible my whole, like maybe your whole life for, for, yeah, a long time you've studied the Bible. So why, when it's still the Bible, how come this is now difficult? I thought I'd be good at it. So yeah, just prepare yourself that even though you think you should be good at this skill, you probably won't be. And so yeah, just don't give up when it feels a bit difficult. Um, I've thought it would be helpful if we could all meditate on the same thing because that way I can give some examples. But um, trying to think of what we all hear and study together across three services, I don't know how many, four or five Bible study options are on the go. Um, so my attempt is the, the radio broadcast. So that was on Simeon, and that was also the Christmas carol service. So that was Simeon as well. So if you went to one of the carol services by Steve, if you listen to the BBC broadcast, hopefully that covers most of us in the room. If not, I will let me give you a little reminder to jog your memory. So he began, so it was about Simeon, and he began with the bucket list illustration. And Steve said, there's 50 things to do before you die, including the Liverpool nightlife. And we all laughed every time. You know, we all laughed. <laughs> I think I heard this talk five times, so maybe I <laughs> might remember it better. Um, then he touched on FOMO, the fear of missing out. And he said, the one thing we need to do to be fully satisfied and ready to die is embrace Jesus. Simeon waited his whole life to meet the one who would bring God's salvation. And remember, he met him when they took him to the temple to be circumcised. And when Simeon was holding Jesus, Simeon, Simeon said, I am ready to die in peace. Now I have, you know, met the consolation of Israel, I think is maybe the phrase. Um, so that sermon is what we're going to have a little bit of time thinking about. Now, this is tricky because you don't want to meditate on something that you heard three months ago, but it's the best I could do. Um, so that's, that's my summary of it. This is you ready to begin truthing out. One thing on the bucket list, one thing we do before we die, embrace Jesus. So now you just want to truth out. I will give you a couple of minutes. Oh, time is really running away with me. A couple of minutes, maybe three, four minutes. Just begin to try and make that truth bigger. There's space in the notes. Just write some ideas. I find I can't do it if I'm not writing. So use the pen and paper. They'll help you. Just write things, you know. What's on my bucket list? Hmm. Do I think Jesus is the one thing I need before I die? And start to or not I, you're not being so personal. Is this, what do people have on their bucket lists? Is this a shock? Blah, blah, blah. Fine, see if you can truth out. I will come back in a second. So just on your own. I know that won't be long enough, but I'm afraid, just a taster. And it's at least made you try to think about what on earth you're supposed to do when you truth out. <laughs> so you will have more questions for, for each other to, to learn what, what, what did other people do and how did they find it. Um, now, the kind of thing I put down is like, Jesus is the only thing that should be on a bucket list. Nothing else needs to be done before we die. All Simeon wanted was Jesus, his greatest dream and ambition. Holding Jesus and he was ready to die happy. With Jesus, we should never have FOMO. I am not, we are not missing out. We have Jesus, and Jesus satisfies us more than anything else. So that's the kind of things I would write on that idea. I'm just trying to be like, right, that's what we heard. That's what God's Word's saying. 
Um, okay, so now you've got a few minutes to try and truth it in. Try and make the truth a bit more personal to you. Um, I've, uh, and on the screen this time, I've put a few questions. Do I agree with this? Do my actions and emotions currently reflect this? What's on my bucket list? Do I think like Simeon? So now, that, but asking some questions is the way sort of in. So yeah, a few more minutes by yourselves again. Now, the sort of things I might have put down were, what would I like to do before I die? And I've tried to think a bit more general, as potentially then they might relate to you. So these aren't all mine, because my first one is, do I want to see my children married? And as I am unmarried with no children, that is not one of my <laughs> current thoughts. But yeah, would, do I want to see something published in a journal? Do I want to see the Northern Lights drive across America, start a business? Am I really satisfied? Do I feel down about another year single? If so, maybe I'm not satisfied in Jesus. Do I want to change? Do I want a new job, a new house, even a new top? Do I book holidays as soon as I get back from one because I need something to look forward to? Hmm. Perhaps Jesus isn't my source of satisfaction. Why am I so worried about my children's education? Isn't it wonderful they love Jesus? Or why am I so excited about a new house? I don't feel that way about Jesus. If you took away my health or you took away my savings, would I have peace? Would I feel ready to die happy? I'm not like Simeon, but I do have Jesus. In him, I have everything that matters. I don't need anything more. I'm free from chasing other things. I don't need the house, husband, career, health, children, holidays. I have Jesus. I have everything. I should have peace and contentment. I have Jesus. I have everything. And so I might start to repeat the kind of positive truth that it is that God's word is trying to change me. I don't think I have everything. It's probably my starting position, but I'm trying to persuade myself as I truth in that I really should be like Simeon and feel ready to die because Jesus is everything we need. So I'm sure you find it hard because knitting, at least you, you can put your hands on it. Meditating, you can't get your hands on your, into your head. So it's very hard to, to figure out what is happening. You can't hold it. So I think it's a very hard skill to try and learn. Um, so, and meditation isn't this beautifully still mind cleansing activity. I think you'll all agree now that it is a bit of a mental workout. Um, that you will feel like you're really having to struggle to do this. Um, but keep going because... Um, because it's worth it. And that is what we're coming on to now. Um, let's see. So why do we... Oh, and before we just do, I want to say that when we meditate, you still might not feel anything. Like, you're trying to move your heart, but maybe your heart won't be moved. And that happens. That definitely happens to me. Um, and I think it's a chance then to say sorry, to say, oh, your word should move me. This should thrill my heart. I'm so sorry. I don't... It doesn't. I don't care that you're a lover and I don't seem to care about my sin. Oh, Lord, help me. Like, it's a chance to cry out. Not to feel like, well, I can't go to work now. I must keep meditating until I fail. You know, you can um, just ask for God's help. Pray that next time you will um, be able to, I guess, treat his words like they deserve. These are the living words of God. They should move us every time. And so, yeah, we want his help to do that. Uh, so why do we meditate and I, this is 
my superfood for the soul, my avocado illustration, that um, uh, meditation has, yeah, so many positive effects. Uh, I said um, at the start that it was the key to Christian growth and maturity. So God works by his spirit, through his words, and so the whole process of meditation allows God's spirit-filled words to renew our hearts and minds. As we meditate, our minds and hearts are being transformed, they're being nourished. When we chew and digest the Word of God, it releases all its goodness into our soul. By truthing out and truthing in, we melt our hearts and we mold them into God's words. And this, this melting and molding, this changing and renewing of our hearts and minds, this is the key to Christian growth and maturity. Everything we say, do, think, and feel, they all stem from our hearts and minds. They all come out of our souls, our inner beings. Um, and so when our inner beings, when our hearts and minds are changed, everything about us changes. No longer will we just be the product of our culture, our family, media, or education. Rather, as the psalmist says, God's word will be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. God's words will be will direct our lives. So why do we meditate? We meditate so that our hearts and minds are renewed and transformed. And that transformation will then seep out into all of our lives. And the transformation, it won't be instantly spectacular. It's mostly inside. So it won't be flashy or dramatic, but slowly and with time, the more you meditate, little changes will happen. Just like the first gym workout appears to make no difference, or even the first week, first month, first few months, nothing really changes. But with time and regular exercise, some noticeable things appear. But even from the very first time when you exercise in the gym, and the only thing on the outside was sweat, in the inside, your heart was being, um, it was doing really good things for your heart. You just couldn't see it. Every little bit of exercise strengthens your heart and your muscles, and it is good for you. And meditation is the same. Every time you meditate, it will do your heart good. It'll be renewing your mind, and even if it seems to be producing no tangible difference, don't give up. Keep going, and you'll start to feel the difference even inside, and you might start to see the difference on the outside in time. Now, there's a couple of things that meditation will change. Um, it's going to change your... Oh, we missed the why our love of God. It's meant to be your, but hopefully, collectively, as we all meditate, these will change us all. Um, so it will change your love of God. This is the big change. The transformation God most wants to make on each and every one of us, he wants to have our affections. God wants to be worshipped and adored as he rightly deserves to be. God is our lover, and he wants our love. By truly listening to his words, we will be warming our hearts and nurturing that love and giving it a chance to flourish. The more time we spend thinking about him, the more we'll love him. I think we all know that's true, even about human love, but especially with God, because everything about him is wonderful. Unlike the people in our lives, some of the things we think about them might not increase our affection, but everything we think about our Heavenly Father will cause us to love him more. So it'll change your love, and it will change your, um, oh, hello, your emotions. It's all going off. Um, they'll become 
recalibrated or reset to rise and fall on the things of God. Meditation is going to shape the things you care about, and that's going to shape then your emotions. Um, so I've already said that your love for God will change, but hopefully um, the blasé attitude you have towards sin, that will change. You'll not feel so ambivalent about the new creation, but you'll actually feel real hope and longing. The wonderful Bible truths will finally feel wonderful, and they won't just be wonderful on paper. And you'll also feel less sad and worried about losing a job or about an illness. You'll feel more joy at hearing your child pray than hearing them do a music recital or hearing that they do well in exams. You'll be more thrilled that they've told a friend about Jesus than that they came home with an A. Over time, meditation will gradually change your emotions to be more in tune with God's word. It'll also change your prayers. So by the time you finish truthing in, you won't be able to stop yourself praying. It's the natural bridge between Bible study and prayer. They kind of blend into each other. And I think meditation, it's part prayer, part talking to yourself. If I'm writing it down, sometimes I don't know if I'm saying, am I referring to God or am I just talking to myself? And the kind of, the pronouns change as I'm writing. Um, after meditation, we'll praise, we'll repent, we'll cry out, we'll mourn, we'll give thanks. Um, and most importantly, we'll pray about the words of God. So rather than bring our usual prayer list, we'll actually be part of a conversation where we first listen to him in his words, and then we talk to him about what he said. Meditation makes sure we don't change the topic. If your prayers are always quite similar, then meditation will enrich your prayers and you'll soon find yourself praying about many new things, and especially stirred to praise God more. It'll also change, as I've said, ooh, your day-to-day -day life, and that's because your heart, you know, melted and molded, so values, priorities, everything will change. Everything will be kind of slightly tweaked a little bit to be more in line with God's Word. We make hundreds of decisions every day, and we don't think about them. They happen just naturally. Now, this is a very silly one. Take, for instance, what we do with our dirty cups. So, if you're at home, you might leave it in the bedroom, if that's where you have it, or you might leave it on the coffee table. You might put them in the sink, or you might place them beside the sink, or maybe you'll put them in the dishwasher. Maybe you'll wash your cup, or there's more options. Maybe you'll collect all the dirty cups. Maybe you'll check out the other bedrooms if you live in a house share. Maybe... Um, you'll decide to wash everything in the kitchen. Oh, and then you'll clean the kitchen. Decisions, and you won't even think about the fact you're making a decision. You'll just act naturally. Because our actions flow from our hearts and minds, and you don't kind of stop and think, hmm, I wonder what would be the best thing to do now. Um, there's no time to stop and do this. So uh, we make decisions without realizing it. And as meditation resets your heart and mind, it will just slightly tweak and reset just you won't even think, oh, now I always collect my housemates' cups at the same time as I do my own. And you won't think, oh, that's a decision I'm making. It'll just be something you do. And who knows what it is that you've meditated on in the past. But one day, it'll kind of work itself out. Um, and finally, your faith will be strengthened. By feeding on the Bible and filling your mind with the truth, you'll know God better, and the result will be greater confidence in Him. The more you meditate, the more you'll know God, the more you'll be sure that his salvation plan is true, the more you'll be sure of your forgiveness, 
the more you'll trust in Jesus. Um, so yeah, your faith will be strengthened by meditation. So those are great reasons that we didn't have time to really go into. Um, and there's a few more questions on your table. Uh, so I think I'll just finish with a bit, and then you can pray. And if you want, you can chat about the questions on the table. But we've come to the end of our morning. So um, but, uh, at the end of the kind of handout, I've put next steps. Um, and I think one of the next steps would be to read Psalm 119, because it will spur you on. And also, make a plan with somebody here to meditate um, it was very hard to meditate on a sermon that maybe you didn't even hear two months ago. It'd be much better with the, the people in your Bible study to make a plan to say, oh, let's, oh, let's try to meditate after we've had um, house groups. Let's meditate on that in the week. And then when we chat about it, when I catch you for a coffee, we can talk about what we've been thinking. So choose some, somebody who's doing the same kind of Bible study or is at the same service as you, and then you can in your own time, be meditating. Um, so that would be great to make a plan. Um, and read Psalm 119. Like I said, that will warm your heart. Uh, yeah, so let me just pray to finish. I'm going to pray, and then you can pray in your groups. Father, um, you are a wonderful God, and we love that you've spoken to us. Um, please help us to, to give your words the attention they deserve. And we really pray that as we meditate, that we would be thrilled by what we read. We really ask that our whole lives would be changed, that we'd worship you more and love you more. Um, yeah, I pray that we would help one another after today to be women who meditate. In Jesus' name, amen. So in your groups, potentially have a little chat about what we've just covered, and then turn just to the person, or maybe just with the person beside you, because that way you'll actually be able to talk in the next five minutes. So just turn one and twos and threes, the bit about the kind of the how and the why, and then maybe share one thing to pray about in your twos and threes and pray about that together. That'd be good. <laughs>